<laughs> What's up, dude? And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. What kind of, what kind of time crunch are we looking at? I have no crunch. I'm just, just trying to get it while I have energy. Okay. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Hello and welcome to the, to the bin. <laughs> I am so going to kick you. All right, I'll stop. Is it wasn't that uh what's his name uh Yandu? Yes. Don't want don't don't I don't know why I was doing Yandu. I'm not sure either. It just hit me some reason but but I, but I did pick up on it but uh so I'm Paul Spitaro and that is my friend Scott Gardner and my former friend Bill Robinson <laughs> hello actually you should well, both no, be no, my no, former no, friend no. since you're calling me an old man if I wasn't an old man I'd really be really be pissed off about it <laughs> I heard you chuckle when you listened to it for the first time, so I... I That's because I'm old. I'm getting senile. <laughs> I know that uh, that you took it in the right spot. <laughs> uh, how are we doing, if I, fellas? If I were younger, I'd come over and kick your ass. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? Good, good. I'm still a uh, still a comics buying fool here lately, but doing really good. Uh, my problem is I'm a comics buying fool, but I'm finding little time to be. A- and I, I'm once again getting massively behind, but uh, I'm I'm having fun. <laughs> I thought you were losing weight. How do you have a massive behind? I, I, I was going to say, <laughs> how you beat me to it, Paul? So oh, yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to put things up on eBay. Even though I've been home so much, I would have thought I would have everything up. But, yeah, just I, I've lost some of my gusto on doing it just because some of the buyers disgust me. No offense to any buyers, by the way. Come check out my store. Well, I, I Believe me, I totally feel you. I mean, I, what are we in now? Day like 5,000 of this pandemic, you know, uh, and I don't think I've listed a single thing on eBay. And I need to. I mean, I'm sitting, I'm literally sitting in a room full of stuff that needs to get put up on eBay. And I've just, I just have not had any, any gumption to do it. I got to be honest. 
Yeah, it's I know just, the it's feeling. Becomes such a massive pain in the ass, but I I don't want to digress into a bitch session about eBay, but yeah, it has. What what's funny though is I, I don't know if you guys saw my post about it, but they actually sent me a survey not long ago. Oh, I saw they did. I saw you posted I, it. I was brutally honest in that thing. And then a, a couple of days later, they sent me, it was a very automated response, but it was basically like, hey, thank you for taking the time. And I'm like, you obviously did not read it with, you know, this light tone of thanks that you, you had for, you know, filling out the, the survey because somebody's going to read that and be like, damn. But yeah, I mean, I just felt like they needed to hear some things. So I, I threw the book at them. I let them have it. I mean, it's just it's it's crap compared to what it used to be. So, but anyway, anyway, as you were saying, uh, so today you have the Marvel, I have the Marvel DC Indie, and Bill, what do you got? Hey guys, out the, I got the world to go. <laughs> got no legs. <laughs> Good. Was it Sergeant Dan? I was a game. Ta- I was a game. I, I was a game time decision. You were. It was, we weren't sure if we were going to just leave <laughs> you behind like Otis, or if if we were going to bring you along with us. <laughs> it feels like forever since uh, since I've led the show off with a Marvel. Is is it really been that long? Or is it I don't, just I don't know if you way? get to lead the show off because I have all three in one. That, you know, that's a good point. We, we have no natural, there is no natural order of things. There is not. All right, well, flip a coin, which, uh, how do you want to do this? Flip Bill. If he lands on his stomach, you go first. If he lands on his back, I go first. I've seen Bill flip. He landed on his ass, so who, who'd you say goes first? <laughs> uh, you know what? I think, I think in this particular circumstance, we'll go with age of book, which yours is a little older, so why don't we do yours first? Oh, Okay. It, it really, it literally does not matter to me. Other no, than it doesn't I'm, matter I'm just, to it, me either, really. And and just for anybody listening who hasn't seen the art for the episode, the reason I say I have all three is because I have a book from the Amalgam series that Marvel and DC put out combined. So it's not a Marvel, it's not a DC, it's an Amalgam, but it's got yep. Marvel slash DC characters. Yep. It's funny that for some reason I just, I thought, I think of it as a DC book, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, well, I'll go ahead and I will, uh, I will lead us off with my book, my book today. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about this is, uh, from Marvel comics, doom 2099 number one. Now this is the original one. Uh, I'm led to believe that, uh, this character recently made a, a resurgence. I have not read those yet. Um, this is the original one cover dated 1993, January of 1993. It was on sale according to Mike's amazing world of comics on November 17th, 1992 features a cover by Pat Broderick, which I love, uh, which just depicts doom, the doom of 2099, uh, and his very cool new armor, uh, and, and blue color scheme as opposed to his classic, uh, green color scheme is just kind of standing on a hilltop with arms raised as lightning strikes behind him. It's just, it's a very, very cool and, uh, and dynamic image, uh, on a foil cover, uh, cause it was the nineties. <laughs> cause uh, it was going to be worth more with, money if they put it on foil. Right. The story, uh, oh, wait, 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 I guess I got something to say about the cover. So when I first looked at it, sure. 
like a song pop- popped into my head. Um, anybody, anybody want to guess? Riders on the Storm? Nope. It's a, it'll be a parody song. It won't be. It'll one of the words will change. I got yeah, nothing. Uh, for some reason, the first thing I thought was, this is the dawning of the age of Latveria, the age of Latveria. <laughs> I, I don't know why. I was just like, where did that come from? Latveria, Latveria. <laughs> Harmony and understanding. <laughs> <laughs> so it is written uh, so by it shall be Francis done. Moore. Oh. <laughs> And with art by Pat Broderick, the story is entitled Muses of Fire, which is just an odd uh, choice for uh, a story. Muses. Oh, look, another musical reference. (laughs) Sorry. So in the year of our Lord, 2099, an illegal transfer of cash for computer access codes is taking place on the darkened nighttime market streets of Latveria between a bald fat man and a young gypsy hacker named Wire. Accompanied by his bodyguard slash possible girlfriend, Zandra, the two are forced to flee the scene when a flying guardsman hover tank appears in the sky and orders their arrest. The pair zoom away on what is essentially a speeder bike and make for the castle ruins on the outskirts of town. Just as his tank is gaining on them, a sudden light show bursts in front of them and tattered, steaming, and excuse me, a tattered, steaming, armor-clad figure materializes in their path, demanding to know uh, what happened here and how long has he been away. The guardsman vehicle catches up and, floating overhead, blares out a warning: "Attention, you are uh, an unauthorized presence interfering with with official guardsman business. Identify yourself immediately." "You dare threaten me?" demands the armored man. "Don't you know who I am?" Turn the page to a glorious full splash of the figure blowing the guardsman vehicle out of the sky with a wave of his gauntleted hand and a proclamation of I am doom. And that's kind of the title page right there. It's pretty awesome. Frightened and unable to simply fly away because their bike is out of juice, Wire and Xandra are frightened, but Doom assures them he does not battle children. He asks about his destroyed castle, to which Wire replies that the place has always been rubble. Wire is likewise surprised that Doom has no knowledge whatsoever of Tiger Wild, the guy who's running Latveria and has been for many years. What year is this, Doom asks. 2099, says Wire. Hmm, says Doom, much later than I expected. Can it be I have been forgotten in my own land? It is time to make Latveria Remember, we cut to Latveria's capital where we meet Tiger Wild. Think Tony the Tiger in Golden Armor, and that's essentially who this guy is. Uh, he's a bad guy. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good one, too. And he's in VR. <laughs> he's uh, a bad guy businessman because uh, 90s comics. Among uh, his seeming hench persons is Fortune, a female fortune teller whose tarot cards reveal a shift in power is coming. Suddenly, there is a massive crash with multiple K's, R's, S's, and H's, and Doom bursts into the office demanding to see Tiger Wild. Another Doom bot, says Zone, a henchman. Be certain, I am no robot, says Doom. 
Doom ruled Latveria in the 20th century. He vanished before I was born, says Tiger Wild. If you truly are Dr. or if you, excuse me, if you are truly Dr. Doom, you have a very long absence to explain. There's an exchange of words over uh, who Latveria belongs to, but Wild schools Doom on what has happened since his disappearance. The government he left behind collapsed and was on the verge of being annexed by corporate powers. Wild saved Latveria, making it an independent state and a base for his personal enterprise, and concludes that Doom is nothing but an historical footnote. Perhaps history, uh, perhaps a history lesson is in order, says Doom, and he seizes Wild's throat. However, Doom has critically underestimated his opponent. Wild, who in truth is a powerful cyborg, simply shrugs off the attack and knocks Doom to the ground. He pulls out a blaster and intends to shoot Doom in the face. Doom obliterates the gun and Wild's hand holding it, which simply annoys Wild. He in turn seizes Doom's throat and demands to know which rival corporation has sent him. Doom repeats his proclamation that he is Doom. Wild sends uh, an energy feedback rippling through Doom's armor that overloads his circuits and fuses his armor. Doom is helpless. Wild then rips off Doom's mask, exposing the unblemished face of a young man. You are too young to be the 20th century warrior who overthrew Latveria's royal house, proclaims Wild, and far too pristine. History says Doom's face was hideously scarred. Allow me to complete this masquerade, and he fries Doom's face. As he lays bleeding on the rug, Fortune volunteers to take Doom's body to the Neurotex, but secretly she plans to make off with him because the cards have told her he's worth more to her alive. Four days later, Doom, face bandaged, awakes on a cot in a gypsy village being treated by a mute child. He goes outside where he engages in conversation with Fortune, who explains she that uh, she is not on Tiger Wild's side. She simply reads the tarot for him, which in turn provides protection for her and her people, the gypsies of Latveria. And while she doesn't necessarily believe that he actually is Dr. Doom, she nevertheless pledges herself and her tribe's support to his cause of overthrowing Tiger Wild and reclaiming Latveria. Later, with Wire and Xandra's assistance, Fortune and Doom fly to the Peruvian Island R&D facility of the Pixel Corporation, where Doom enlists the services of a brilliant neurosurgeon whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Uh, to heal him and enhance and augment his abilities. He does, however, refuse cons- reconstructive surgery on his face, preferring to keep the scars he is, uh, he's got uh, as a reminder. Later, rebuilt with brand spanking new Razor Edge Biotech and a bitchin' adamantium side. how do you pronounce that? L-A-N-X-I-D-E? Lanskide armor? I don't know what the hell that is, if it's even real. But anyway, a cool adamantium armor suit. He emerges to proclaim, Dr. Doom is dead. Long live Doom. And that's the first issue. And uh, I am just dying to know what you guys think of this. And if you had read this previously, and if you had any uh, any whatever about uh, Doom 2099. Well, I would say, you know, of the 2099 books, of which I had a decent amount, when I did the Great Purge of 2019, uh, Doom 2099 is the only one that survived in my collection. Everything, everything else, it was like, sell it on eBay, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. 
or or just you know ditch it wherever i don't even care um 2099 was an interesting concept and spider-man 2099 was not bad if i had a decent sized uh collection of those i would have stuck with that as well uh but X-Men 2099, Fantastic Four 2099, 2099 Unlimited, which had the Hulk in it, uh, Punisher 2099, and and they were all bad. But to to get to the total bottom of the battle was uh, bottom of the barrel was Ravenger 2099. Uh, it, it, it's another case of of 1990s overkill. Excess, yes. But somehow, despite that, the Doom series had some quality to it. Uh, So, like I said, that's the only one that survived the purge. And I have probably about 15 of the issues, and the the balance of them are on my want list. Uh, So, you know, that's the the only one that I I seek out any issues on at all. Uh, I think think it was a a fun book. It, it, It kind of had the tone... Uh, it, it had the right tone of, for Doom, is what it comes down to. Uh, so I, I enjoyed this run, you know, what I did read of it. I didn't read it from beginning to end. And I enjoyed this issue. But I have to throw in, uh, we've had some conversations of late, and I'm still at a loss to give you any artist where I prefer their work inked by them over a good anchor. Uh, and, and, and Pat Broderick here falls in, into line with that. The artwork is nice in this, but I think it would be better if he had a, if he had a different inker instead of inking his own work. I think, I think he uh, fell I'll into some that. 90s think... tropes on his artwork. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I really, really like, I, I was so tempted to say I love the art in this because the, the art on this series was one of the, one of the big draws for me. And it's one of the things that kept me reading it. And I think it's one of the big reasons I didn't follow the series all the way to the end. I mean, there were, there were multiple reasons. I, I got into this book just before I moved to Georgia uh, in the 90s. And I think one of the reasons I never finished the series was because of that move and, you know, starting a new life and just, you know, life got busy, essentially. But also, there was uh, uh, an artist change. Broderick, I forget what issue he left at. It was after 20. I know he's there solid for at least the 25, first 25 issues. Uh, beyond that, it, it changed radically. It had a new writer. It had a new artist. And I remember it, it just completely lost me. The art at the end of the series was just terrible, or so I thought at the time. Um, I really like this art, but I'll agree with you. I, I think he, yeah, he definitely could have benefited by a, a different inker, a, a stronger inker. But I, I'm a big fan of Pat Broderick. I really like his stuff a lot. So that was a huge draw for me on this series. Uh, Bill, what about you? Had you had you read this before? No, the only 2099s that I recall having is maybe the first couple issues of each series, and then the only one I have a long run of, and I haven't even fully read, is the. X-Men 2099s. Uh, so this is all new to me. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the character. I don't really remember what his deal is, if he really is Doctor Doom or not. Um, I don't think so, they ever truly tell you, if I remember right. Because this I, isn't I, the Doom that... Because this was pre... Like, this isn't a Doom coming back from Heroes Reborn, right? Because that was later, if I remember right. Right. Yeah, no, so, that, was, that was later than this. My yeah. understanding, because I... 
I have tried to stay away from spoilers because so here's the thing. Um, I like I said, I read this as it was coming out. I, I loved it. It was my favorite of the 2099 series. I was really into 2099. Um, I collected this. I collected Spider Man, and I sampled all of the other books with the exception of X Men because X Men. Um, but I, I tried all the other ones. Um, Ravage, by the way, Paul mm-hmm. um, has good. one big. Re- What's that? I've I've heard that that's better than it's made out to be. Or I've always meant to go back and uh, and read that series. Um, but the the big redeeming quality that has, at least in the early issues, is um, Paul. Um, oh my Gracie. God! I'm completely. No, I just completely blanked on the on the guys. Who's the guy that that did Fantastic Four late in the original run of Fantastic? It was. Tom DeFalco and Ryan Paul Paul Ryan uh, did the art on that, and I'm I'm a mark for Paul Ryan. I, I really like his stuff. So the art's really good. I have I have no idea about the stories or what. I don't remember. I know I read the first issue. I think Stan wrote the first issue. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, I just don't remember. If it's it was not not enough. not the way to go out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, Punisher was direct. the big problem with 2099 overall because I, I was really into the concept, but I, I completely agree with you. The problem was uh, 90s excess. You know, they they had a couple big hits with Spider-Man and Doom, uh, and then they just went crazy. And if they had kept it small, and I think if they had had peppered it with more original characters, but when they found success with those two characters then everybody who was ever anybody in the regular Marvel Universe got a 2099 variant, and it got ridiculous. Because you had Hulk, who was interesting because he was not... He was very different from the Hulk, like the regular Hulk. So he was kind of interesting. The Punisher was exactly the same. Uh, It was just a different person as the Punisher, but it was the whole thing, you know, dead family, and he's out there to kill people. Then you had Ghost Rider, and then you had... I mean, there was a million of them. I, I won't name them all, but it, it just got to be ridiculous. But I've, I've long regretted not finishing the story. I, I, I remember reading it, and then, you know, like I said, life happened, and I think it was a combination of, you know, I missed some issues, which always, back in the day, you know, collecting you know, the paper issues off the rack or whatever. That was the kiss of death for me. If I missed issues, then I, I generally just gave up on a title. If I missed too many and, and lost, you know, track of the story or whatever. And I did with this. And so I just never finished it. And then whenever I would pick up, you know, later issues down the line, you know, to, to thumb through or what the art was so bad, I was just like, eh, I just, you know, I had no interest at that point. But I always regretted not knowing where the story went or how the story finished. And so recently, you know, I found some issues on the cheap and I was able to actually fill in the the whole run of Doom 2099, which is like 40 something issues, like 47 or some weird number. Um, So now I have all of it. And the other day when I was just looking for something to, you know, to pick up for the show, I thought, you know, let me let me let me reread Doom number one, uh, Doom 2099 number one and see if it's any good. And I'll tell you what. It was like eating those potato chips, man. I couldn't just read one. I, I read like the first four issues, and uh, I don't know about the rest of the series, but the first four, I will, I can vouch highly for. They're still a really solid read. I mean, it, it's a, it was a page turner. It's good stuff. I really, really still enjoy it. So, it's it's pretty awesome. Um, 
this cover. I love this cover. I've always loved this cover. And I used to have a T-shirt of this. It was the promo T-shirt that they put out. And uh, if anybody is, you know, wants to go through their closet and see if they if they still have one, if you had one back in the day, I can tell you, you know, from experience that uh, it pulls down a pretty penny on eBay. It's one of those ones I slapped up for a good amount and then instantly regretted it because it sold so fast. I think I could have got double or triple for it what I what I got out of it. And I'm thinking I got like. 75 80 bucks out of it so yeah it's crazy uh, those t-shirts from that period uh, they, they seem to be worth a lot of money these days but yeah i've always loved this and I, i'd love to see them reissue uh a shirt with this on it or, or a big poster or something it's cool i think my biggest gripe with this cover is just my disdain for the uh foil covers now yeah, there's there's nothing about the artwork that I have a problem with. It's just the concept of, you know, just the raping the audience for money. Uh, yeah, which, which is really what I feel like they did with these things. I've noticed, I've noticed one thing with all of these 2099 launch books that had the foil covers. I've not seen one of them that's held up very well. There's something about the paper and the process that they used to create those foil covers where they are extremely prone to um, spine creases. And I yeah, mean, they, the minor they get, they are, get uh, those, those like when I'm trying to just think of how to describe it. It's, it's not, I guess spine crease is probably the proper word for it, where it, where it kind of almost gets like a crack coming out into the book itself from yes. the, from the area, like where the staples are at the, at the spine. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, things like that, that, that just you know it, it yeah i can't imagine having a really really high cg s rated uh not that we care about that because we don't and we've made it very clear that we don't <laughs> but just just for just for, for you know for, as a talking point not as not as something i would suggest actually doing but i bet you those those books are routinely uh found to be even the ones that were well kept are found to be at a lower level than uh you know than a, a regular book that was maintained the same way yeah i mean but mine it, my, my no, problem is, my problem is just the fact that they you know that they did it purely to charge more money and to take advantage of of the speculation market and i i just I, I find that whole thing irksome yeah no i i completely agree with you i think an argument could be made. I, I don't know that I'm necessarily uh, going to back my own argument, but I think a, an argument could be made that it does work with this one, with this particular book. Now, we're looking – I assume you guys are also looking at a scanned image of this. I've noticed that foil comics don't scan worth a damn. They always look weird. Um, but if you're holding the actual issue in your hand, you know, the actual printed issue – this one actually looks pretty cool because the silver of the foil lends to the look of doom. But the, the other ones they put out Spider-Man. And I think there were other, uh, I know Punisher number one was also, uh, I think it was like a purple, like a, like a Navy blue or something like that. Um, border, you know, with, with the, with the foil and all that. Yeah. With those, it's, it was just a money grab, they don't look good. They don't, scan well you know all that sort of they don't keep up well they they get damaged but i think it kind of lends to the look of this but overall if you know if they could charge me i mean what were comics at this time like 75 cents or something you know if it means they're going to charge me a dollar more then they'll keep it i'm not interested you know 
So mm-hmm. let me see. I've got number. I've got these on my pattern. Number five. Dollar and a was, quarter. Right, it was only fifty cents more. Yeah, but still fifty cents more just for you know a printing process that doesn't really add anything and and is going to crease and devalue like crazy. Yeah, keep it. I'm not that interested. So. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Now, would you say that this was uh, well? I guess you would. That you know, you said these were the only ones that you kept. That that this was the best 2099 title because I I've debated that with myself. You know, over well, it's the either years. this or Spider Man. I'm not sure which. But I just I didn't. I didn't have. A, I didn't have a run of Spider Man to keep. I had like three issues, so I was like, you know what? I it the choice is get rid of the three or try and go after the rest. <laughs> and I, I I figured let me err on the side of getting rid of the three. Spider-Man 2099 has been the character from 2099 that's had the most legs, clearly. But I think, I, I think for me personally, I think Doom 2099 is the one that's actually the best title because I, I think the story really holds up. Uh, you know, again, at least you know the initial uh, launch of the thing. Um, the art definitely, uh, I always have thought was better. That was my big problem with Spider-Man. I liked the title, but I hated the art. I, I just think that never... was uh, Leonardi. Leonardi, yeah. I'm I'm not the biggest Leonardi fan. I mean, he's done some good stuff. I'm, I'm not trying to knock the guy, but there was just something about um, his Spider-Man 29. I, I just was never all that crazy about it. I think if the, if it had a different art, I probably would have liked it that much better. I mean, you know what Peter I thought David of the art in uh, Spider-Man 2099? I thought 90s. It, it was 90s art is what it was. And yeah. It, it, you know, yeah. that I, I don't hate 90s art. You know, and, I, and what I'm talking about is, you know, if, if there's a such thing when you could look at the typical style of that day. Uh, I don't hate that style, but I just feel it was, again, it's another thing where it was just excessive. There was so much of that same style over and over again that it that it just kind of, it wore me out. And this Pat Broderick art actually looks more 90s-ish than if you compare this to his Micronauts art. Yeah. And and I think that's that's where it kind of drops a slight level from what I normally think of Pat Broderick's art. Now, I think this art is good. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to make it where I'm complaining too much. Uh, but I just don't think it's up to the level of what I've seen otherwise from him. And I think some of it is probably trying to stick with the, the style of the day. And some of it is inking himself instead of having someone else with with a different hand on it. Yeah, as, as you're talking, I'm flipping through here. Having read the first four issues, uh, I, I've deleted. I always delete them off my iPad as I read them, so I've deleted them off except for the issue we're covering. So the only early, you know, the earliest one I have for reference here is issue five. But I'm flipping through issue five, and that one's actually inked by John Nyberg, who I'm not familiar with, but it's great. I mean, it it addresses all the issues that I think you and I have with the art in the in the first issue with broader thinking himself so yeah man this is it's it's really it's beautiful it's it's interesting that you know they would choose um somebody that i i think of as a very 80s classic um artist to do something that was cutting edge 90s like this you know this cyber i don't know if it's cyberpunk yeah i guess it would be cyberpunk um but it works 
I mean, it really, really worked. His style works really well for this. I'd be curious to find out sometime why he left the book, if he was just kind of done with it or, or, or what. Um, but yeah, I, I really like this. And I, I still really like this character. I'm intrigued that they brought him back, but uh, the biggest reason I haven't checked that out yet is, uh, you know, purely on a judging a book by its cover level, I didn't care for the costume change. I like this version. You know, I, I guess it's, I have to say, too, I, you know, I was never the biggest Doctor Doom fan. I mean, I liked him and everything, and there's, there's been Sorry, some Professor stories Allen. with him. <laughs> there's stories with him that I really like, but, I mean, he, he was never like, you know, you always see him on the, the top of lists of, you know, favorite villains of all time. He was never one of my favorite villains, but I liked him. But in this, I loved him. Uh, there's something about this. I mean, it's so rare to find you know, a villain led book to begin with, but especially a villain led book that was, that's actually really good and, and compelling and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I always think of books like the Joker, which was a really boring book or, you know, secret you, you society. Shut, you shut villains. your mouth right now. The original Joker series. Oh, it was fun. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I didn't, I, I, <laughs> I disagree. I'm sorry. Well, it's just because like, you don't know uh, what you're talking about. That's all. <laughs> or you know, like super, you know, Secret Society of Supervillains, which was a, a really fun book, but it was kind of goofy and you know it, it had its problems because you know it's it's a villain-led book. Or you know, there was a bunch of other ones, but this one somehow it really worked. And I, I think part of that was that um, just in order to be able to function in this strange new world. Uh, Doom was forced to compromise with with himself. You know, he he couldn't quite be the Doom he was in the 20th century because he was out of his element. He needed other people um, just simply to survive. And I think that was that was part of the fun of this was him finding that that personal compromise between, you know, the classic, nobody speaks to doom, you know, like that type of thing and having to kind of put up with dissension in the ranks and, and things like that, because he, he relied on this team that he built around him. And I, and I, I don't know, there was something about that that I really liked. I thought was, was an interesting dynamic and he just looks damn cool. Well, one of, one of the measuring sticks I use when we, you know, when we review books on here is, especially if we do a first issue, is does it make me want to pick up the second issue? Uh, and it's been a long time since I actually really put my toe in the water on Doom 2099, but having gone through this first issue, I could say, yeah, I do, I do feel like reading the rest of the series. So that, that says something for this book. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, I, I at one time I really considered pitching to you guys an idea of doing some sort of 2099 project, kind of similar to like our Apes Month that we did that time. I don't know if I if I have the enthusiasm to read the entire line of 2099, honestly, but I think I am at least going to read the Doom chronology of 2099 just to see where it goes because i i know that it does have a, a you know a, a definitive end uh and i'd kind of like to discover that you know to see where did the story go and you know what was the quality like and and that sort of thing so you know if i if i actually do manage to do it you know i'll, I'll report back at some point and maybe we can even you know examine it further or whatever but uh but yeah this this 
you know, of a, of a strange and weird and, and often fallow uh, creative period of the 90s, this was one, to me, this was one of the real gems of the 90s. I, I, I really like this character and uh, at least the earliest issues of this book. That's pretty much all I got. I agree with you on that, and I am inclined to want to read the rest of the series, but I could tell you I don't think I'd want to read the entire 2099 canon. Uh, right. I, I think I would lose my enthusiasm fairly early on in it. Uh, I, I could see <laughs> reading this run. I mean, this is 43 issues in, its, in and of itself. I mean, it's not like it's a small matter uh, to read it all through. Right. Uh, and I could see myself reading the Spider-Man 2099 run, uh, which is, I think, I think that's like also 40-something issues, if I remember yeah. right. I think uh, that one might be the one that's 47, because 47 keeps sticking in my mind. I think Spider-Man's 47, and you said this is, what, 43? 43. Yeah. But, Something you know, like the other series, I, I think I would lose my enthusiasm very, very <laughs> quickly. So I, I, I don't think I'd go there. The only one that uh, of the other characters of 2099 that, that really grabbed me um, was was the Hulk. That one was it was interesting just because he was so different a character from the Hulk. He was called the Hulk, but that was about it. You know, he was a guy that turned into a monster, a but that was about the only real connection between the two. Was he a guy or was he a cyborg? No, that was Ghost Rider as a cyborg, right? Ghost Rider was a cyborg, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he he was literally like a ghost in the machine type of thing, which was kind of an interesting thing. But I did not follow that one. But, yeah, I'm I'm curious just to kind of see, you know. And again, I'm gonna purely do this from the Doom perspective, but I'm just curious, kind of curious to see where 2099 went and and basically how it ended because I know it did end. It, it at least from what I've read of the thing. Um, it, it did have a definitive ending, and I'm curious about that. Um, I thought it, Dr. It, Allen just just called uh, Professor Allen just covered. They redid a 2099. I kind of recall. It's been a while, but uh, I don't know if it was a one shot. I think it was. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I know that there was a recent. I mean, they, they've tried several times to to either revisit or reinvent 2099 because I know there was a um, Greg Kirkman. Is it Greg? What's it? Is it Greg Kirkman? No, I'm thinking of a friend. Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman um, uh, did a project. Oh gosh, it's probably been a good. It's probably pushing ten years or better at this point ago that he did a bunch of one shots that were kind of a reimagining of 2099. I remember specifically there was a dare. I think they were all characters that hadn't been done before. It was daredevil 2099 black Panther. There was a whole bunch of other ones. I have the whole set. I've never even cracked the covers on them. So I, I, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Well, the, uh, the Wikipedia page for Marvel 2099 has a section in there where it says end of the imprint. After sales slumped, the 2099 titles were canceled and replaced by 2099 world of tomorrow a single title mm-hmm. featuring the surviving characters from all the titles. The series lasted only eight issues before being canceled. The 2099 line was concluded with a one-shot, 2099 Manifest Destiny, in March of 1998, 
in which Captain America was found in suspended animation and, with Miguel O'Hara, assembled various 2099 heroes into a new team of Avengers. The story summarized the years from 2099 to 3099, with humanity transforming the corporate world of 2099 into a utopia and then expanding into space. For some reason, I cannot explain to you that book is stupid expensive. And because well, it was probably I saw it on eBay, it was probably not uh, had a very low print run. I would bet. That's what I'm thinking. I I, I think that's indicative of a lot of 2099 because um, the last issue I needed to complete Doom 2099 um, was this weird. It, it the art's terrible on it, but it's this cover where it's um, Daredevil and. Submariner, I think, or they look like they're trying to drown him or they're fighting him in water or something. That book was really expensive, and I can only assume it's because the the print run was getting low or whatever. But most of this series these days you can find in in 50 cent bins, you know, all Mm -hmm. over the place. But there are certain issues of certain books in the 2099 universe that, uh, that you might end up having to shell out a few extra bucks to get a hold of just because, uh, again, I'm assuming it was low print. Yeah, it is Namor. Namor and uh, and Daredevil. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I'll send you a picture of it. It's freaking horrible, the, the art on this. It's Doom 2099 number 41, but the art is just atrocious. I just tried to o- open my phone using a code 2099. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Wait, huh? But that... that book you're talking about the manifest destiny i'm curious to read it and so because i i you know i, I read the same wikipedia <laughs> article that you did are oh, you looking at that cover oh yeah it's like daredevil's like ah my god body looks ridiculous doom's face looks terrible yeah Who, who's the artist on this i don't know but i i read the interior that art looks better than the cover I read that same article that you read and was like, ooh, all right, this manifest says I got to track this down. And then I went to eBay and it, like I say, it's it's stupid expensive. But then I ended up seeing it listed one time for, I don't know, it's like 15, 20 bucks, something like maybe 25 bucks. And I almost pulled the trigger on it. But just before I was about to click on it to buy it, I thought, you know what? I, let me, because the 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 cover of it literally just says 2099 Manifest Destiny. There's no art on the cover, so I thought let me let me see what I'm getting myself into. So I hunted up a, a digital of it and started flipping through it. It is hor- the art is atrocious in it. So it wasn't that that was driving up the price. It wasn't like some great artist or something, unless it's somebody that became big and this is like their early work. So I didn't I didn't buy it just simply because the art was horrible, but I still want to get it. But yeah, I am perplexed by why that book is so crazy expensive. It, it's got to be just simply low print run. I'm assuming on that one. Um, but yeah, I, I I could not bring myself to pay, you know, the crazy prices on it just just simply to you know to own it. But, but yeah, these uh you know they can largely be snagged out of the cheap bins, which is where I've collected you know most of the the issues that I'm missing for for this and for uh, for Spider-Man as well. And that that 2099 series, uh, or the what was the name of it? Uh, World of 2099. I've I've got most of those, and I was so tempted not long ago 
to pick up the issues I'm missing on uh, mycomicshop.com. They had them for, I think they were two bucks a piece, mm. which I, I guess is not bad, but I just, I couldn't even pay two bucks a piece for them. The art's horrible. I want to read the stories because I want to know where things go, but I just, you know, those to me are like 50 cent books. If I, if I can find them for like a dollar or less, I'll snag them, but I'm not paying more than a dollar for them. I just don't think they're worth it. But, well, are we ready for grades on this? You guys got anything more on, uh, on Doom 2099? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, it's going to probably be most uh, mostly sentimentality speaking. I really missed that T-shirt, but I had to sell it because even with all the weight I've lost, I don't think I'd ever fit into it again. So, uh, But I, I love the cover on this book. I really do. I'm so tempted to go A+, but I, I honestly, i got to be fair, I don't think it's quite an A-plus cover. I'm going to say just a solid A. I think if it had been inked by someone else, uh, I think it would be... Uh, a solid a plus i i just love it i think it's iconic i I, it reminds me of like a like a rock like a classic rock album cover or something it's just it's a really dynamic iconic image i i really like it and this i'm trying to remember why i even picked up this book honestly um i think it was a little bit of it was number one fever Um, it was was it was because doom commanded it well, see, I, like I said, I'm not. I was never, and I'm still not really a Doctor Doom fan. But I, I think, I mean, he just looks cool, you know. <laughs> he just, I mean, I love this look. He just looks badass, uh, and I think that was a lot of it. So yeah, solid A on the cover. I, I love it. I think it's a, a really, really great cover. Interior art. Um, I'm a huge, or at least I consider myself a, a huge Pat Broderick fan. I really like his work on the series, um, and I like most of the art that's in here, but I, I totally agree with Paul. I think he would have been better serviced with uh, an inker that was not himself, and I can't help but wonder if there's something weird going on with the printing process as, weird, as well, because it has a weird, like, um, I can only describe it as like a like a perforated... Well, that's not quite. I don't know. It's like remember back in the old days, like old printers, before that you know we got like really good like laser printers and that sort of thing, like dot matrix printers and all. Like the very earliest printers just had this weird like, like I don't know. All I can think of as perforated, and that's not quite the the word I want to use, but. They just had a weird print quality to pictures that would print on old print. That's what this looks like to me. It's like it was printed on an old printer. Um, so I, I think there's part of that. But I think if you could take it, retouch it, reprint it, um, and maybe change up the color scheme just a little bit, I think it would look that much more dynamic. But I really like it nonetheless. Uh, I think I'm going to go a solid... Um, I'll say a B plus on the art because I really do like it. I just think there, there, there's room for improvement. There's room for refinement of the art and the story. Um, I think the story is a solid A plus. This to me is one of the the best modern origin stories in a long time because it really, for me anyway, it totally sucked me right into it. Um, I wanted to know who who is this guy? Is he really doomed? Because he certainly thinks that he is. And I like that. There, I mean, a lot of stuff happens in this very first issue. It's not a victim of 
uh, you know, of a decompressed story. I mean, we get a lot of meat to chew on here. We get, you know, Doom's arrival. We get a lot of great mystery. We get the face of Doom. Is that, you know, I mean, clearly this is a, a young, unscarred man. Is he delusional? Is it, uh, what was the kid's name? Christoph? Is it Christoph? We don't know. And he thinks he is. He's convinced that he is. But his allies uh, are totally unconvinced. Fortune, you know, she just goes along with him because she thinks she can use him. And then Wire just kind of seems to humor him because he's going to be able to tag along and get some really cool uh, tech stuff from him. So everybody's kind of using him or dismissing him. And I kind of like that. And it, it just it adds a whole, you know, different level and, and different depths to the character and everything. It's not just, you know, the classic, oh, I got to get Reed Richards doom. He's got a whole new, you know, his enemies are dead and but he still has a mission. And now he's more focused on, you know, starting out in this series anyway. You know, he's focused on reclaiming his throne, reclaiming his heritage and, and re, you know, helping his people. And, you know, spoilers, it goes to some interesting places. Doom conquers America, which is pretty damn cool. So, yeah, it, there's there's fun stuff ahead in this series. So uh, overall grade for this, I'm going to go a straight up. Uh, I'm going to go straight up. I think I'm going to go straight up A plus. I got to be honest. I, I, I give this book the highest recommendation. I think it's great. I think it really holds up well. Well, I like the book. But I can't say I'm as high on it as you are. Uh, the cover, I think it's solid. I think it's eye-catching. I hate the foil, uh, but I'm not going to hold that against it. Uh, but, it, you know, it's a poster image. It's a number one issue, so I kind of am more forgiving of poster images on number one issues. Uh, and it's a really eye-catching picture. I love the 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 contrast that the lightning behind him creates uh i also like the color pattern on the uh, costume because it's not your typical doom armor and it's got a lot more blue and silver in it um and none of the typical doom green uh i'm gonna say a solid b plus bordering on an a minus for me uh the interior art uh, I stand by what I said. I think it's really nice, but I also think it would be much better if it was inked by somebody else. Uh, but, I mean, as far as the choices that are made, as far as the angles, the, you know, the uh, anatomy, uh, you know, just the storytelling overall, I think it's all really solid. So I'm going to say it's a, it's a solid B, and it, again, with a better inker, I think it could have been an A. Uh and the story, it, it's got me intrigued and it's got me wanting more. So I'm going I'm to just give that an, an, an A. Uh, and overall, I'll give the book an A-. minus. Cool. Bill? Well, well you guys I hated it. It stinks. I was looking up Lenexide process because it said uh, Admanium Lenexide. That is a word. And my quick reading. All right. So this reminds me of something when I was in the service. So 
The lenexide process, also known as pressureless metal infiltration, is a way of producing metal matrix composite materials by a process of partial reaction. The process involves a careful blah, blah. Anyway, it's a way, I, I, it's a way of, like, infiltrating uh, metals to make a composite uh, by, like, a capillary action, like the infusing them together. Right, and it reminds me, like, on my ship, the super the hull was, uh, if I remember correctly, steel, and the superstructure was mostly aluminum or of a different metal. You sure well, it wasn't keep- chrome steel? Chrome, chrome. Nah. Yeah, that's. I understand that to be a very, very strong metal. I I don't know. <laughs> Wait, no, you shut up. So, <laughs> so the way they explained it to us is. You can't two dissimilar metals creates uh, oxidation, blah blah blah. They don't bond right, so they would take plates of um, of steel and plates of aluminum and explosively bond them together, and then you would weld the the you know like the deck to one side of the steel side of of, of the plate and the aluminum to the aluminum side, and there you wouldn't get oxidation, rust, and blah 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 blah. I think that's kind of way this is going. So it, it it was a real thing. It wasn't a made up baloney term for like this, chrome uh, steel. Chrome steel, yes, exactly. You know what? It, it wasn't strong enough to hold Kong, so I don't think it would take care of Doom either. <laughs> so uh, the cover, it's a cool cover. I remember this cover back in the day. It caught my eye, and I I, I think I have this book. Not one hundred percent sure. Maybe uh, maybe in a few days you can come help me find it, Scott. <laughs> we'll talk after the show. Uh, I'm gonna give it a um, I'm gonna give it a B plus. It's good. Uh, the interior art. Um, you know, did I miss something along the way on page? Um, is it 28 of the art with the big splash shot of Doctor Doom? You know, with the Fantastic Four running in front of him in the old green right. armor. Has Doctor Doom always had a Tie Fighter for his mouthpiece? Yeah, in the center of his face. Yeah. Why did I never notice that before? I mean, that's literally a t- like a Tie Fighter. I've always, I've always wondered if that was supposed to be like a voice like, modulator. Type yeah, of, like, like, like a speaker. Yeah. But I could have swear yeah. I've seen ones where that's been teeth, and he's his face was behind it. I, See, I swear think, I've I think Doom is. Is supposed to be capable of being airtight in his armor when he chooses to be, and if that's so, he should have some sort of a voice modulator because otherwise, mm. you know, it's hard to be airtight. Otherwise, of course, we see his eyes all the time, but I'm still thinking that there's some sort of like drop-down screens. Yeah. I just thought it was funny that it looked like to me it looked like a Tie Fighter, and I never noticed that before. So uh, the interior art, I am going to give that a B plus as well. And I don't remember, like you guys, I don't remember what happens, who this Doom is, what the story is. Uh, but I'm intrigued, so I'll give it a B, uh, a B as well. So overall, like a B plus book. Sweet. Okay. Why'd you guys like it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I decided, I decided to dip into. Uh, the Amalgam series, just because it's something I haven't visited for quite some time. And frankly, even when I visited it, I didn't 
dip my toe too deeply into it, honestly, because by the time we got to it and I purchased all of these books, uh, I was kind of already losing interest in it because it felt like it was just too much of a cash grab. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it was it was over the top. They had to come out with whatever thirty different books. You know, it was I don't, I don't remember how many books they came out with honestly, but it's probably somewhere in that range. And it was it was it was overkill. I've got this book and I don't remember this story. I probably I don't even think I I ever read it to be honest with you, because none of this rang a bell. Let me ask you something because my uh, my shitty memory is just interfering here. Is this from the very first DC versus Marvel event, or was this from one of the sequel events? I, I seem to remember, and my memory isn't that great either, my, I seem to remember that there were two waves of Amalgam books. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if it was just you know one, one month and another the next month, or if it was a longer period in between. I thought it was like a year in between. It may have been. I, I'm really not certain. I think I think this was in the first wave of Amalgam books, though. Did they quit? Pr- did they quit printing their books that month too, and only put these out? It, am I misremembering that too? Uh, you know that, that you say that it tickles my brain. I I think you're right. I think there were. Oh, I I'm I'm really struggling to remember. But yeah, that sounds familiar. Like maybe there weren't any regular books that for that particular like week or, or month or something and that they they only did these. Yeah, that that seems familiar. Now that you mm-hmm. say that. I don't know, maybe I'm misremembering. I don't remember mm-hmm. for uh, sure. And I'm looking to see if there's some sort of quick Amalgam Comics on Wikipedia. Um, Amalgam Comics was uh, a publishing imprint shared by DC Comics and Marvel Comics in which the two comic book companies merged their characters into new ones. Uh, Wolverine became the Amalgam character, the Dark Claw. These characters first appeared in a series of 12 comic books that were published in April of 1996 between issues 3 and 4 of the DC DC vs. Marvel miniseries. A second set of 12 comic books followed one year later in June of 1997. All 24 of these issues occurred between the aforementioned issues 3 and 4 of DC versus Marvel. Uh, oh, I, I guess they mean uh, as far as storyline goes. Uh, That's on, weird. So a year later, they did more of the amalgam things when the event had been over for a year. That's weird. That sounds the, like the cash grab. Oh, it the, certainly was. These the issues year later were presented thing. as if the imprint had existed for decades with stories and editorial comments referring to a fictional history stretching back to the golden age of comics, including retcons and reboots. For example, they referred to Secret, so- Secret Crisis of the Infinity Hour, an amalgamation of Marvel's Secret Wars and DC's Infinite Crisis, Crisis on Infinite Earths, excuse me, Marvel's The Infinity Gauntlet and DC's Zero Hour which featured the well-known cover of Crisis on Infinite Earths number 7, but with Super Soldier holding his sidekick's body, who is female and wears a costume similar to that of Marvel's Captain Marvel, instead of Superman holding Supergirl. So several issues included fake letter columns to provide the illusion of background to the story with the fans' hometowns f- formed by amalgamating the names of existing cities. 
The first amalgam event occurred near the end of DC versus Marvel crossover event in 1996. In that event, the Marvel and DC universes were shown being combined into one, and the amalgam comics were presented as a result of that. The first 12 amalgam titles were released the following week, delaying both publishers' regular release schedules by one week. Ah, half the comics of the event right. were published by Marvel and half by DC. A year later, the stunt was repeated, but without the crossover providing context. Uh, both pub- later, both publishers collected their respective issues into four trade paperback collections. Why isn't that? I don't, I'm always mystified when any comic company does a. Uh, collected edition of something that you can pick up out of the 50 cent bin. That always strikes me as weird because these, these issues now, I know we haven't talked about the issue or the quality or anything yet, but the, you know, monetarily speaking, these issues are completely worthless because they were mass produced and you can find them in 50 cent bins all over the country. So, but can you really find them all? I mean, if there's that one that you're missing, or two that you just can't find. Maybe it's like, you know what, if I could get it all in a collective, I mean, I'm sure I have them all, but if I didn't, and I don't feel like tracking them all down, if I could get them in a collected set, you know what, boom, I'll just get the collected set. Well, that depends on how much that collected set will cost you, though. Right, if it's like, what, 12 issues, if it's like 20 bucks, or, you know, no more than 25 bucks, it would be worth it. Well, let me let me Just to not have to track it down. Let me let me let me clarify my question. And this is totally the bearing the lead, but were any of these books worth a shit? I guess is my real question. I don't uh, know if maybe maybe a couple of them might have been, you know, at some point or another. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, you had the stretches where you know Wolverine books were going for, you know, more because they were popular, but then they over saturated the market so i wouldn't be surprised if like dark claw was valuable at one time but no longer or at least i don't think any longer i don't think there's any books currently worth anything wasn't that one done up in the style of the animated batman yes well the there, it was, it there was. were there were two there was oh the you know be, because of the uh the two separate printing events i'm pretty sure there was one that was presented seriously you know it was a, a dark claw book and then i think in the second uh wave of books there was dark claw adventures yes because i remember like uh, uh, was it x patrol and then like the jlx um there was there was one with a with a jonah hex amalgam that was like hex and the something i don't i was i was it was, a, I was, was uh, it was, was hexmen that's right yeah <laughs> no, actually it was not. i was uh, <laughs> a, a hell of a lot more of a i made that up. back then than than i you know than I, anywhere near where i am today so i think i have every one of these if i'm not mistaken but they they failed to make any impression on me whatsoever because i barely remember any any of the details or what but we should probably talk about the book before we go any more into the the history of the whole thing. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm itching to talk about my history with the with that whole crossover. It was it was Generation Hex actually. That was uh, it. Yeah, it's not the Hex Men, but it was close enough because he yeah. did have like a team of mutants with him. Anyway, uh, I was going to 
synopsize this one off the top of my head, but I'm getting tired, so I'm going to read a pre-game synopsis now. <laughs> <laughs> I was not going to, but I am now. The cover, uh, which is by Dave Gibbons, shows the Super Soldier, which is effectively Captain America with the uh, the mask with the top cut off where his hair is coming out of it. Uh, it he's got it's basically Captain America from the waist up, and it's a Superman costume from the waist down. Uh, and he's got a his, his shield has got the Superman S on it. He has Cap's Buccaneer boots. Yes, yeah, actually he does. You're right. Uh, and he's fighting against uh, kind of the sleeper. Yeah. From the uh, Captain America, although it's called Ultra Metallo in this book, uh, and it's you know it's it's a number one cover. It's kind of a poster image of him fighting this giant robot thing. Uh, pretty well done as far as I'm concerned. The story itself is titled Secret of the K-Bombs. It was published on in April of 1996. It is written by Mark Wade and Dave Gibbons, penciled by Dave Gibbons. Once again, we have a situation where the artist is inking himself, Dave Gibbons, uh, colored by Angus McKee, uh, and lettered by Dave Gibbons. The synopsis for the story is, after discovery, a crashed, after discovery, a crashed spaceship and deriving, after discovery, after, I think it's after discovering a crashed, <laughs> let me try this one more time. Ah. <laughs> after discovering a crashed spaceship and deriving a serum from the dead corpse, the U.S. Army develops a serum they hope will turn the tide of battle in World War II. Their first subject is a 4F volunteer, Clark Kent, which proves to be a success. Granted the abilities of flight, super strength, heat vision, and much more, Kent accepts the mantle of super soldier. And with his partner, Jimmy Olsen, reporting on the news of his exploits, he battles the Nazis and paves the way to victory until the Third Reich unleashes their newest weapon, Ultra Metallo. And after a battle over the Atlantic, both fighters plunge into the icy cold depths. Years later, a now much older Jimmy Olsen is kidnapped by the evil Hydra and their leader, the Green Skull, who was once known as Lex Luthor. The Green Skull learns of the super soldier's reappearance and growing weakness and resurrects the Ultra Metallo to crush the, su- to crush the soldier once and for all. Jimmy escapes and manages to warn, warn Clark of the impending threat. And without a moment's hesitation, Super Soldier flies into battle across Washington, D.C. against his metal opponent. During the fight, Luther taunts the soldier through a speaker on Metallo and reveals the secret behind the soldier's growing weakness. Fallout from the K-bomb Luther developed to end the war covers the entire Earth, but its radiation affects only one man, Super Soldier. It also powers Ultra Metallo. Super Soldier is able to overcome his foe by discovering that lead shields him from the deadly K radiation and is able to power down Ultra Metallo once and for all, while at the same time exposing Luther for what he is. And that's the story. And I have to say, you know, we, we, we've all kind of said that we're kind of down on the whole amalgam thing, and I'm, I'm totally on board with that, to be honest with you. But I kind of like this issue as a lark, as just a, you know, 
if it wasn't for the overkill nature of the amalgam books, if this was something they just came out with as kind of a fun book, you know, that Marvel and DC published without it being part of a big event, I would find this entertaining. I think the artwork is pretty sharp. It's not the best, but I think it's, you know, it's very uh, easily followed. It's clean. Uh, the story is, you know, it's kind of fun in a nutshell. It, I don't think it would serve as, as an ongoing series, although if they're trying to present it to us in a way where it would, I guess. Uh, and I have to turn off the continuity nerd in me that is trying to somehow make sense of combining these worlds as to like why there would be a Clark Kent with Steve Rogers look about him. And I have to say to myself, there is no effort for continuity here. It's just combining things in any willy nilly fashion that they just decided was fun. And that's kind of what this issue is to me. It's, a, it's just a fun, easily forgettable issue. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a one-off. Yeah. It's, it's, it's enjoyable. If you could turn off your brain, and go, oh, well, wait a minute. That's, that's, that's part of Superman. That's part of Captain America. Just, just go with it. You know, it's, it's not going to be a long-term thing. It's nice that they, it's kind of like an April Fool's joke. Yeah. It's like that issue of Godfather number one that we covered. That was real. The problem with that, and and I'm 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 down for that in in theory. You know, the idea of let's let's do an April Fool's type of thing. But here's the problem: it costs two dollars. And like I say, I was much more of a fanboy at this time in what year is this? Like '93 or something? Than I, I am today. You know, by a long shot, I was a much younger man. '96, by the way. You know, had more you know disposable income, that sort of thing. I was I was much more inclined to walk into a comic shop and and spend you know a hundred dollars a week or whatever than anywhere near where I am today. So, but this was one of those things where, and, and you guys have probably experienced this in your collecting lives. Have you ever bought a book where, as you were, were buying it, you knew damn well there was there was absolutely no return on investment with this book? You know that this oh, yeah. was now you're going to see it in the cheap bins, and I knew that going into it. And I think that's part of my problem with this is that it's not that it's you know it's kind of fun I guess, but it's it's completely inconsequential for one thing. But I just honestly, and I know I'm sorry. I hate to sound like a piss pot. I just don't think it works. Um, I, I like Mark Wade and everything, I, you know, but he he can be kind of hit and miss. I've never particularly cared for his take on Superman, although I love his take on Captain America. My biggest problem with this is it feels rushed and not really thought out very well. Um, we'd never get really a clear definition of the super soldier's powers. If he is essentially Superman in a Captain America outfit, what's he need the shield for? Cause he never really uses it to any great effect in the story. He just kind of carries it around. It's not the kind of shield you could throw like cap shield. And he well, doesn't it's, more, it's more like it. caps original shield. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to need it to defend himself either because he seems to have a level of maybe not invulnerability, but at least a level of toughness to where I'm, I'm flipping through the book again and I'm not seeing a single instance where the shield seems to be 
of use. You know, he he doesn't throw it. He doesn't block any. Well, I take that back. There is a they shot where he, where he deflects a, a a bullet or a ray blast or something with it. And then he hits a guy with it. Yeah. So, I don't know. That was just weird to me that, you know, it, it, he didn't seem clearly defined enough um, in, in his power set. It just, you know, I mean, if you gave Superman a shield, you'd be like, well, what the hell's he need it for? You know, and that's kind of how I feel about this character, because he's essentially, again, Superman in, in Cap's uniform. And I'm like, what, what does he need the shield for? Well, I get the impression yeah, well, from the way they tell the story that he was effectively Superman in Cap's uniform in World War II. But now, because of the kryptonite dust that's all around the world, his power is decreasing and decreasing, and he's not quite that anymore. He's still right. powered, but he's no longer Superman level. I think this story could have really benefited by making him essentially uh, with the power set of like the golden age Superman. The other big thing that, that I don't know, just doesn't work for me visually is him flying. And I, I think it's just because he does so strongly resemble Captain, Captain America. America that it just, it my I look at it. My brain just goes, no, no. Because I'm looking at the page, and the, they're not numbered, but the page where he flies into Washington and he's looking at the Washington Memorial, that bottom panel where he's streaking, he's saying to himself directly at that building, that's Captain America in flight. And it, it just looks wrong to my brain. My brain is going, no, 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 no. So I think if he was leaping an eighth of a mile, like the classic Golden Age Superman, I'd be much more accepting of it because it's basically like you know a, a, a souped-up cap but not Superman cap. You know what I mean? Well, it seems like a small distinction, but to my brain, I think it would work better, you know? Well, you know why he had to have the shield, right? Because, well, because they, in the creation of the character, being Captain America and Superman, they had to get the Superman S symbol somewhere. And if they're not going to put it on his chest, then they got to have it somewhere else. And it was just as easy to change his cap shield into the superman s shield that would be my guess yeah there's no other that i mean other than story demanded it there's no and when when i mean story was like probably corporate dictate when they created the when they matched the character together was that's why they that's all i could think because i mean he doesn't really do anything else with it yeah, and and that's again that's part of my issue with it is that I mean would it look right, better if you shield? put the S on his chest and gave him Cap Shield or would that be too close to Captain America and Superman? They had to push these. I don't know. I think they would have been better because essentially re- remove the shield from the equation and you've got Captain America with the red trunks that. Because yeah. the actual costume of the character, the only Superman element that's in it the is the red trunks. And then again, arguably the pseudo spit curl, you know, the classic spit curl of Superman. Although I don't, does he actually wear it as a spit curl anywhere? No, it's or is it just a upward instead of downward. Yeah. So those are really oh, only curl, Superman yeah. elements on his body. So he's literally carrying the shield to get more Superman in him 
and that's so obvious to me. And and I and it, you know I, again that's what keeps it from from really working to me is that the shield doesn't serve so much a practical purpose as it serves an amalgamation purpose, and it and for that reason it it just doesn't quite work for me. Um, I think the idea is sound. You know, mashing these two characters together is a, is an interesting concept. It's just the final execution just doesn't it doesn't ring true or it just doesn't work for me honestly. And I can't help but note that the synopsis that Paul read, and I know he didn't write it or anything, but it calls Luther the Green Skull, which I was waiting as I reread the story for somebody to call him that. I think if he ever is called that, I think it's in the other Super Soldier book. But it, in this one, does anybody actually call him that? Because I don't think they do. No, I don't think they do in this issue either. Yeah, so it's weird. I was, that, as I was reading it through, I was looking for that as well. Yeah, so it's weird that somebody would write up that synopsis, and I don't know if you'd really call it a spoiler, but essentially call him that with without him actually being called that. He's called Lex Luthor in the story, his, or just his, Luthor. His outfit reminds me more of the Joker's outfit than with the purple yeah. gloves, and I know it's a purple bathrobe, but it, but like especially in the in the uh, on the second to last page, the second to last panel, that almost looks like the Joker, just with like a mutated green face. Well, obviously yeah. he's not laughing like the Joker, but with the purple gloves and the purple outfit, and the, it just like I was like, what? Ah, 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 ah. Let it go, let it go. The one thing I did really like about this, though, was aged Jimmy Olsen. I thought that was kind of an interesting touch you know that that he was around when the super soldier was around during world war ii now the super soldiers revived and jimmy has aged naturally to where now he's an old man that that remembers him and apparently kind of reading between the lines here he knows who the super soldier is too i i think that that yeah, seems, that seems pretty clear. yeah yeah well, and that I element i liked I, I kind of like the idea of combining Jimmy Olsen and Bucky in that yes, character. Yes, yeah, yeah. That was the the vibe I got for it. So I mean, course, I uh, Jimmy came back as Warshack from uh, <laughs> from X Men or uh, Watchmen. From, uh, Watchmen, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, that I, I, I don't think this book. I, I think you know. Ultimately, the the bottom line is, it's not meant to be taken very seriously. And I, I think as you start pulling threads, it starts to collapse a little bit uh, because, <laughs> because it's meant to be just a fun one shot. And, you know, they're, they're referencing things that, that you can't, you know, you can't create a whole history out of nothing. So we just got to kind of pretend it exists. Uh, like I said, for, for me, I think it has to be taken this is this is almost like a, a contradiction in what I'm saying here, because I think it has to be taken the way it was meant to be, uh, except the problem is I, I feel like it was meant to be a cash grab by Marvel and DC. But yes. I think it has to be taken the way it was meant to be by the creators of the book. I don't think, you know, we, we had this conversation a couple of weeks back with the uh, Marvel Apes thing, which I didn't enjoy particularly but you guys did and when i pointed out that it was a cash grab ultimately you guys agreed that it was a cash grab but you know you you 
opined that the creators didn't treat it as a cash grab. They were trying to make as good a story as they could. So I, I think Mark Wade and Dave Gibbons are trying to make as good a story as they can, despite the fact that Marvel and DC are whoring themselves out in this book. Uh, and I think they made, I think they succeeded in putting together a fun story. Now, if I sat and read through the rest of the Amalgam line, I get the feeling it would be very, very varied as far as the quality. Uh, and I, I can't even tell you that from memory because when this series came out, I bought it all. Or when these books came out, I bought them all. But I, w- I became so jaded by it so quickly that I don't think I've, I even read half of them. Yeah. So here's here's the funny thing for me with with the whole DC Marvel thing is that I I have vivid memories of the event because it was a huge event. It was so big that uh, at the time I was working for a company called uh, Suncoast Motion Picture Company, which sold videos. And much like when you go to a um, like a Best Buy or I'm trying to think of some other places that do like a Hot Topic or something like that where you'll go in and they'll have like a small geeky section. Even Walmarts I've seen are doing this now. They'll have a small geek section of like geeky T-shirts and action figures and little Funko Pops and things like that. Uh, Both companies I work for, uh, Suncoast Motion Picture Company and then uh, another company, a rival company that kind of emulated them was called uh, Saturday Matinee. I worked for both of them at one time or another. They both had that. And to my mind, they kind of originated that with having like the, the small geek section, you know. And DC versus Marvel was such an, a, a huge thing that it actually spilled over to that. And we had DC versus Marvel T-shirts, hats. Um, I think we got the individual issues as they came out, which we never carried comic books, but we carried that one. Um, and, you know, different merchandise. And there, so it was a huge event. So I remember the event much more than the actual books. And I, I think because, as you say, ultimately it was a massive cash grab. Um and where the whole event soured for me was that, for one, looking back at those books, and I think I felt this way at the time to a degree as well, but definitely looking back at those books, you look at the four actual books of the event, they're really not very good. Um, they feel rushed. They feel extremely contrived. And they weren't really satisfying. And the biggest thing to me that wasn't satisfying is I felt like, okay, the event's only four issues long, and you're going to waste valuable real estate in those four issues with this stupid amalgam thing, you know, where they mash the universes together and create new characters. And I just remember, honestly, even though I, I got suckered in and I and I bought into it, that ultimately, I, I just like what a waste, you know, of, of great potential. And I find it interesting that it got revisited way later and done so much better in JLA Avengers. And they did the same sort of thing there, where the the universes got amalgamated to where they had one shared history, 
but man, they did it so much better and more seamless and actually made it something where it incorporated the extremely diverse histories of both universes, but they played well together as if they had always been one universe and, and they made it feel like the old JLA JSA team ups where once a year, you know, the, the, the two different earths, you know, teams would team up and, and, you know, have adventures together. They did the same sort of thing with that shared timeline of Marvel and DC to where, you know, they'd always been chums and they teamed up on regular, but, and, and that worked for me so much better than this does. It just, it seems very forced and contrived and uh, and ultimately just uh, kind of a, a waste of potential, I think. So I don't know. I, I hate to be so down on it, but I just I just don't think it worked. Yeah, you're a Debbie Downer. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Now, let me ask you something. Oh, I'm probably opening myself up to horrible criticism with this, but I guess it's got to be let me, honest. Let me sharpen my nails. Hold on. I've always wondered, what is the, the deal with Dave Gibbons? Is it simply because he just happened to be the artist uh, selected for Watchmen? Or is he really deserving of this killer rep that he seems to have? Because I have nothing against the guy. Um, but I just, I look at his stuff, no matter what it is, whether it's this, whether it's Watchmen, whether it's uh green lantern that he worked on for a while. And I just think bland, it's just so bland. I think he's a good layout guy. I think he does dynamic layouts, but as a finished product, it just, it's, it's just so boring to me. What do you, what do you guys think? You want me to take some of the heat off you here? I like his art sure. in this book better than I like it in Watchmen. <laughs> he gets praised so much for Watchmen. And I look at it and I think, eh, <laughs> I just don't think yeah. it's that great. Whereas this, yeah, I feel no, like this yeah. is much cleaner <laughs> and I just like it better. It just fits my style more. This, it's, it's hard to believe that this is the same guy that drew Watchmen, to be honest with you. I can see that. Yeah. My first Dave Gibbons stuff was when he was doing Doctor Who, and I believe it was Marvel was printing some of those. And I liked him when he did Doctor Who. He was all right with Watchmen. I, I'm uh, not saying Watchmen yeah, was think... bad. I've never thought Watchmen was bad as a story or in the art or anything like that. So don't, you know, I, I don't want to go there and I don't want to try and argue why it sucks. Uh, I always thought it was just. You know, it's it's a good story, and it's well done, and it's put together well. I just don't think it's the end-all and be-all that people make it out to be. Amen. Yeah, I have been blasted much in the past for, you know, so, you know for perceived criticism of Watchmen. I don't think it's bad. I, I, I've never said I thought it was bad. I just, uh, exactly what you said. I, you know, it, it makes the top of every single list of the greatest thing ever made, you know, in comics. And I just look at it and go, nope, I can name you 20 stories I think that are better. But the, the funny thing anyway. is that, that I and I think you and I had this the very first conversation we had on Back to the Bins ever. I think we talked about this. Uh, I prefer the uh, Squadron Supreme story that was very similar in, in tone. Mm hmm. So, 
you know, whatever. Yeah. Um. um well, I don't know. Now I feel bad that I, you know, I'm so down on this, but you yeah, should. <laughs> you suck. It just jeez, thing for me. This is why we don't like you. Oh, uh, really? This? Well, this is one of the many <laughs> things on our list. <laughs> no, it's it's you know what it. it I, I always have to go back to to each their own. I wouldn't. I'll never. I'm never going to get mad at somebody for not liking something that I like. You know, it doesn't float your boat. That's fine. I just found it to be fun. I'm not sitting here saying this is you know high art. Uh, I just think it's it's a fun story, and and they're taking elements of Captain America and Superman and throwing them together and giving us kind of just a, for lack of a better word, an amalgam of the two throwing it against the wall and seeing what, what sticks to it and putting it out there as if it was something they've been publishing through the years. And I just found it to be fun. But I can understand perfectly somebody not finding it fun. And I guarantee you, if I sat and read through all the other amalgam issues, I'm going to find ones that other people think are fun that I don't. So, well, you know, it's a question for you uh, on the whole amalgam thing. Now, now, just with this particular issue, because I really don't remember the other uh, amalgamations very well, but just with this particular issue, do you think, to steal, to steal somebody else's uh, byline here, do you think this is fair and balanced when it comes to Cap and Superman? Because that was one of my other issues with it, is it feels Cap-heavy. Uh, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, th- I think because I, it's giving you, you know, it's giving you Jimmy Olsen. He's working at the Daily Planet. Uh, you know, we we have Lex Luthor in here. I mean, I, I think there's plenty of Superman elements to it. He's, he's fighting robots. He's kind of got Superman's power set for the most part. There's a kryptonite element to it. If now, Captain America, we have the lo- we have the look of Captain America, and we have the green skull, which is a takeoff on the red skull, and we have him being frozen in ice for you know the the years in 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 between World War Two and and current day. So I, I think we have elements of both, but I, I tend to go with what Bill said and think if it's going to have if it has more of one than the other, uh, other than the look, I think it has more Superman. Okay. Anything else you need me to beat you up about? (laughs) Well, no, it's just for me, it it seemed like it seemed like the character himself, Super Soldier himself, was Captain America for all intents and purposes. He's like Captain America with some of Superman's powers, but it's like the world he's operating in is essentially Superman's. And that just was kind of weird for me. I, I guess... I guess again that you know technically that falls under you know the the banner of an amalgamation, but I, I would rather have seen it a little truer of I don't know just a balance between the two. But I, I get the feeling you would have rather just seen Superman. <laughs> well, no, I mean, because I, I'm a huge Cap fan too. It's just it it's weird. It doesn't feel because some of the other ones. And I wish I could cite you one of them off the top of my head, but most of the other ones I remember reading. Um, felt like more of a true blending of the characters they were mashing up. This one doesn't quite feel that way. It feels more of take this character and put him in the other character's world, if you know what I'm saying. It, it doesn't feel so much like it's actually blended 
Cap and Superman together into one character. It's like it's Cap in Superman's world. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I kind of mm. disagree with it, but I understand what you're saying and how you could see it that way. But you just I, told I, you you're wrong. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I mean, I have no. No, I'm not. I, this, I, and, 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 I could see how you could interpret it that way. I just don't. That's all. Okay. You sound well, so I, sad. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I I also I think I'm I'm flagging a little bit too. It's late, but uh, yeah. So what are we? But rate no, this? I mean that's, that's yeah. That's all I got on this really. So uh, I kind of like the cover. I think it's pretty sharp, and it's giving us elements that we see in the book. And it's a number one issue, so it's kind of a postery image. Uh, of course, they're all number one issues, but that's besides the point. Um, I'd say it's you know it's 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 definitely serviceable. I I give it slightly above average. I think I'd give it a like a just a B, maybe even a B minus. Uh, the interior art I think is pretty clean. I, like I said, I like this better than the art in Watchmen, which is I know blasphemy for most people, but uh, I think it's it's clean and it does a good job of storytelling. And I think everybody looks pretty good in it. So I'm going to say a solid B on the interior art and the story. I felt was fun. I think it's a fun combination of the storylines and I'm going to say a B plus on the story and overall I'm going to give the book a B. Um, Are you stalling out? No, I was trying to make note of something that I want to talk about before we get off completely. So, uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's got a good cover. It's a little bit wonky. Did Dave Gibbons do the cover, too? Yeah, something about yeah, his face just looks a little yeah. off. But other than that, um, it's it's all right. It's all right. It's a, it's a B cover. Uh, the interior art, yeah, maybe if Dave Gibbons was, was inked by somebody else, too. Because he inks himself, right? Again? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like, especially right under above the Secret of the K-Bombs title, that capped, I don't know, the figure looks a little, little like, maybe it could have been, it just looks kind of muddled. Like, it could have been crisper, maybe, with the inks. I don't know. It's just something off. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give the art a C plus. And I like the Amalgam stories, although I don't remember half of them. But, you know, it's like, you know, something you watch it once, you forget, and you can go back and watch it again. Of course, the older I get, the more I'll be able to do that with all my comic books. So uh, for that, I'll give the story a B. So it's it's a B minus, B minus overall. All right. Um, I like the cover. I, I think the cover is dynamic. I think it's eye-catching. Um, the color in the background, I, I think if they did, if they'd chosen a different color, maybe, uh, like a sky blue, although that might clash with, uh, or blend too much or something. Is it trying to make, make you think a bomb has gone off? Cause it looks like, like a, like a kind of mushroom cloudy or. Yeah, maybe in mushroom cloud, or I was thinking like crisis skies or something, mm. but yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's just the color scheme doesn't quite work. It's like too much red, but I don't know if blue would work either because then, you know, there's too much blue. So I, I'm not sure what maybe green would work. 
um, you know, because the you know the whole story involves the K clouds and the mm. you know that sort of thing. So I, I don't know, but just there's something about the color that doesn't quite work for me on the cover. But the artwork uh, is re- is really nice. Um, it's it's very reminiscent to me of Perez without being you know without being Perez without you know aping <laughs> Perez. Uh, which is surprising for me to say about Dave Gibbons, because again, I just I, I'm not a fan. I, I I don't think he's terrible. I just I think as I said before, I think he's kind of bland. Um, but this isn't bad. I, I'm going to say a let's say a B minus on this. And unfortunately, you know, sorry Dave Gibbons. I I do think a lot of that falls to the coloring, not necessarily to uh, to Gibbons' art. But then again, was he the colorist on this? Did you say? Or did you say? I don't remember. No, Angus McKee. Uh, oh, okay. I have no idea. That sounds like a made-up name to me. <laughs> Interior art? Be. Just give me a not- Scottish name. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong, per se, with the art inside. And there's nothing wrong with Dave Gibbons' art itself. Um, I think he has a, a good sense of action i think he has a good sense of dynamism and visual flow and all the things that take uh you know that it takes to make a great comic book artist i just don't think he's he is in the finished product there's something about the final finished dave gibbons project that always ultimately to me comes off as bland he reminds me of somebody like a like a trevor von eden or a dan spiegel to where i see all the ingredients but the the final thing just just didn't rise and that that's how i i always seem to sum up his stuff he just doesn't strike the right chord for me and that and it's a shame because you know, by by all accounts, it really should, but it it just fails to to grab me somehow. So I'm gonna go. I'm really tempted to go very low on this. I'm gonna say a C minus uh, on the art. There's so much room for improvement, and I'm not I'm not sure where exactly it is. It, it, again, it's probably it's probably in the in the inks although the inking's really maybe it's the pencils i don't know there's just something about it that just doesn't quite grab me uh in the story the story is just i don't know i'm gonna say a, a, again a c minus on the story as well I'm very tempted to go even lower than that um overall the entire book is a is a I mean, it's barely a C minus for me. I, I, you know, if we went, you know, strictly on a thumbs up, thumbs down recommendation, this is a thumbs down. I'd say pass on it unless you can get it really cheap and you just need it to finish a collection or something. So yeah, I, it just, I don't, it just doesn't do anything for me. Sorry. That's all right. Like I said, to each their own. <laughs> I have no problem with that. Uh, and it wouldn't be fun if we just agreed on everything. Right. So, I just I always hate to end on such a down note. So yeah, well, you know, you know you're a downer. You, what are you gonna do? Next time you're going through the, the dollar bins and it's your you have a choice between Super Soldier number one or Doom twenty ninety nine number one, go with the Doom issue. So there you go. Well, I don't argue with that. <laughs> well I guess I'll bring us on a much downer note and then but maybe pull us up out of the down, out of the that. Well the, why don't you why don't you bring us up with your book? 
Uh, I don't have a book. I have some news. Oh. So, um, <laughs> you guys were where? I, didn't, I don't remember if you had n- t- took note of it that Denny O'Neill had passed away. Yes. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. 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 We, we should probably do a Denny O'Neill episode. I was thinking that, yes. Yeah. yeah. And on the positive note, uh, anybody watched any of Stargirl? Not I. Yes. Yes. Uh, I have watched I'm first three episodes. I, I, I'm shocked. I've watched the first two episodes. Are uh, you shocked I, that you liked it, aren't you? Because I was too. I was like, yeah. well, this ain't bad. It's got the Injustice Society and yep. it's like, the, what's going on? The only thing has kept me from from getting fully caught up on the show and watching all the episodes is that it just it failed to strike a chord with my missus because we we've been watching tv together in the evenings and you know that's just our together time and sorry uh the other night i said uh, you want to watch the next one and she goes i just re- didn't really like it and i was trying to get to the bottom of why she didn't like it and because you do <laughs> <laughs> she seems to know there's that there might be a healthy dose of that um, but she seems to be under the impression that the show is pretty much made for, you know, an, an audience that, uh, a lot younger. The, the, well, yeah, that, that is the girl, you know, that, that is the actress, you know, the, a, a young teenage girl audience, which I, I can kind of see yeah, that. But they're she's drawing a, in enough of the other stuff to make it interesting. That's yeah. That, and that's what I try to tell her. I said, you know, it may do nothing for you. Cause I don't think she even knows who the justice society or no. any characters are. Um, I said, but that's the part. That's the stuff that's working for me. Am I am I some huge Star Girl fan? No. Um, the only reason I even know who she is was from when she was in the JSA. Because I remember when the Stars and Stripe um, was it a mini or was it a series? I don't remember. But anyway, when that was out, I remember it being out, and I just ignored it. I, I didn't like the R, and it just you know it. I just looked at it and said, okay, that's a, that's a, you know, a book for girls that bought like angel love or something, you know? Um, but then when she was in the JSA, um, I kind of liked her just in the aspect of she was a a good legacy character. You know, she ended up getting the, the cosmic rod from, uh, from Jack and all of that. And I kind of liked her on that level. And then the story, uh, essentially where, she breaks up with Billy Batson. Uh, I still maintain is one of the best comic book, you know, DC anyway, comic book stories that's been done in the past 25 years. I, I love that story. I, it's just, it's complete. It rings completely true in the emotion of that story. So, uh, you know, so I went into this, well, some, some group I'm in on Facebook, they were just going on and on. It, it was a justice society group. They were going on and on about it. And so I just chimed in. I'm like, you know, you guys are raving about this so much. I'm curious to check it out. I, but I, I just I came completely clean to them and I told them, you know, I, I'm, I don't like what DC's doing these days. I really don't like any of their live action projects. I basically I've been boycotting DC for years now, you know, when it comes to their adaptations, you know, in, in film. But I'm curious to check this out. Do you need to be up to speed on, you know, The Flash and Supergirl and all these other, you know, CW things that are out there in order to get into this show? And they said, nope, you can go in cold. And that was kind of my that was where I decided, all right, I'll give it a look. Yeah, because so far, for all intents and purposes, this appears to be a different 
it's not said in the Arrowverse, as far as I can tell. There's no mention of the Flash. There's no mention of Green Arrow, Crisis, Superman, Supergirl, any of that. Uh, Black Lightning, and it seems like it's it's its own thing. Well, the so, smartest thing they, they they can do, in my opinion, is keep it that way. Keep it that way. I mean, if they want to do you know some crossover thing that's easily ignored. You know, if you're not interested, then I'm perfectly okay with that. But if they keep this separated and don't integrate it into that other shit, I'm perfectly content because I know it has its fans. I think you're one of them. I just I have no interest in that shit. But this yeah, this grabbed me because it seems well, I mean, for one, they've got Jeff uh, Jeff Johns working on it. And so I, you know, I know his level of of knowledge and investment in these characters, and that feels like it's really coming through uh, on the screen, and and I like that. Well, there's a lot of little things that are interesting in it. Um, you saw, I think that was the first or the second episode where she makes the costume out of um, the old Star yeah. costume. Yeah. And she burns up all the sewing machines, I guess, because the costume material is so yeah. strong or whatever. So she burns up all the all all the sewing machines in Home Ec. And uh, the last one I saw introduces uh, Wildcat, but it's the um, uh, Yolanda Wildcat. Is she one of the girls that's sitting at the loser yes. table? I thought. Yes. Okay. So I recognized Bethany, I think is her name. I recognized her. Right off, because at one point it gave her last name, and when it when when it gave her last name, I suddenly realized who she was. But I'm not I right sure who the, she's going to be. Huh? It's not who's Bethany going to be. It's not striking a bell in my head. You want me to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want yeah. me to spoil it? She's our man. That's what I thought. That's. Or no, okay. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Not our man. She's um Doctor Midnight. I'm sorry, Doctor Midnight. Oh, she's, okay. She's the new Doctor Midnight. Um, See now, Bill, you should have said, "Oh, that's what I thought." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no matter who he says, yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, well, I recognized here... only after the fact because I remembered. I'm like, wait a minute, that's right. There's a female wildcat, but I can't remember where she first appeared. Was it just in? before the crisis? Oh, okay. Because the panel in the book, and I'm trying like hell to remember which book it was. I think it's Infinity Inc. The panel in the the book she debuted in is then recreated in I think in a single panel in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, so it's, she she has like a like a dual first appearance kind of thing because. In the issue where she first appears, I think you see the red skies behind it. Because something happens to Wildcat. He gets crippled, I want to say. Like his legs get crushed or something. And so she takes over from him. I cannot remember for the life of me what the hell ever happened to her character. So I think that's issue. issue. Episode three, which you have not seen yet. That's where she gets introduced. And I I won't spoil anything because I enjoyed it. I mean, maybe uh, I'm a teenager, I guess. I, I'm I'm shocked by how much I, I do like it. And you know me. I'm always the, the continuity guy. I'm always the, the nitpicker guy. Honestly, off the top of my head, I, I have I only had one quibble, and it's a super minor one. 
Um, I wish they called Sylvester Skyman because that was the name he had in that outfit he's wearing in the show. And I know it's a dorky name, but I loved it. I loved Skyman and what, when what happened to him happened to him in infinity Inc. It just killed me because I, I still love that character. I'm really not a fan of character resurrections, but I always wanted them to bring him back. And, uh, but yeah, I just, you know, that was the other thing is, uh, somebody in that group posted, um, a picture. I think it was the picture of them all sitting around the table, but some, some picture, that showed Sylvester and I was like, holy shit, that's Skyman. And they were like, yeah, dude, you need to check this show out. And that was, I think that was that what actually sold me was seeing him in the Skyman outfit. Just, yeah, I, that, that just totally caught my, caught my attention and caught my interest enough to go. All right, let me check well, it out. The, Thinking well, I would hate it. And I, and I actually really dug it. Well, then there's the layer of the, um, the injustice society they got a painting in there with oh okay maybe maybe you're not that far yeah no i'm I'm just the two episodes in but no i i plan to continue and and get caught up and and keep going yeah it's it's definitely got me i you know and normally that that kind of cheesy you know low budget tv video special effects thing really annoys the crap out of me it's one of the reasons uh amongst very many that I can't get into like the Arrowverse stuff or whatever. But oddly for this, it works for me because it, it gives me kind of like a classic Star Trek feel to where, you know, the, the effects are a little shit and, you know, it's very cheesy and corny. But, you know, I've long said, you know, with certain concepts and certain characters, you know, Superman being a big one, corny and cheesy can work if you do it right and with this show i think they're doing it right because yeah it's it's cheesy as hell and it's really corny but damn i'm i'm having fun watching it you know i mean come on let you know at the end of the day the jsa are a golden age concept you know you don't get much cornier and cheesier than a lot of their adventures and so you know it works with this uh you know with with that particular thing and Mm -hmm. i I don't know. It's, it's just it is working for me. It's it's hitting just around, just about all the right beats. I'm just I'm a little concerned that it began with the death of the JSA, but I'm hoping that we're going to learn that you know things aren't always as they appear. So we'll see. Oh, I can't. There's so many things that I want to talk to you about you about the next episode, uh, the uh, the third one, but you'll have to wait and watch it, and we'll talk later <laughs> because there's a lot of uh, yeah, well. They actually no 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 I don't want to spoil anything. You need <laughs> don't to spoil me. Don't spoil me. I this in this particular instance I I actually don't want to be spoiled. I want to I want to go. But ahead. you gotta tell me as soon as you see it though. So I, yeah, so I we will can discuss. I will. Well, you know, as uh, I'm trying to remember if I mentioned this to you or not, but uh, as some people I know are, are aware, I've been itching to. Uh, you know, to talk about the JSA again or whatever. So, you know, I wouldn't mind, you know, maybe do some episodes talking about this show, but I'd also, I, I totally wouldn't mind, uh, you know, resurrecting some talk about, you know, the, the JSA books, uh, as well, you know, that I used to cover and, uh, you know, all-star and infinity Inc and all that too. So, okay. you know, if you're interested, I know you've been collecting that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. I went on a, that collecting spree. 
<laughs> that's about the last thing I I collected. I've really been come to a screeching halt since then. Mainly because I'm trying to just figure out what I want to get rid of before I bring more stuff in. Right. That's why right. I need to come over so I can give you some stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Take it out of here. <laughs> that works for me. So, Paul, are you still with us? I am. I'm listening. Okay. I just didn't have anything to add. I haven't watched it. Oh. Okay. Cool. I can't believe I, I can't believe I'm gonna say this about a about a DC show, but uh, yeah, you should watch it. It's it's good it's good stuff. It's on the CW website. It's free. Yeah, that was another big selling point for me. Was I was like, yeah, I absolutely refuse to subscribe to whatever they call their their. Well, it's free for now. Let's uh, just say okay. that. I mean, we never know what the future is going to bring. So. Right. But for right now, we should be able to watch this season for free. So. Free is a good. Price did you watch? Point. Did you watch Swamp Thing? No, but apparently that's coming to the streaming. Or no, is that coming to the CW? I I, I honestly, it says I coming don't. soon on their website, so I'm assuming they're going to show it on TV, out and or the site. I I won't. Coming I soon is the Superman and Lois show too, but I don't like the lady. I, I don't. I can't get into the woman that plays Superman. I just she's got a woman weird who plays about. Superman or the woman who. Plays I mean Lois? the woman who plays uh, Lois. Oh, okay. That's I, so I, weird about her. I just doesn't click with me for Lois. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm really not interested in any of that stuff that's going on in the in the well, Arrow. that they're going to have two kids. Uh, Super sons. I was curious to check out Swamp Thing, and I, I gave it. I no, I. In, in I heard it was full, good, but it was too expensive, and they weren't getting the as much eyes on it as they thought. But who knows? Well, full that, that, full disclosure, I did not watch a full episode at all of the show, but I did go give it a look. And uh, nah, I, I was interested to check it out because I consider myself a huge Swamp Thing fan, but it just yeah, it it looked it just didn't look good to me at all. I, I thought that they would go one of two routes. They would either go with the classic um, Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson stuff. I was hoping they would open with that and then maybe switch to the Alan Moore because the poster image that I kept seeing out there was the the anatomy lesson with uh, with something holding the, the skeletal corpse of um, of himself, essentially, of Alec Holland. Um, but it, from what I watched of it, it didn't look like, it, it kind of looked like they were doing their own thing. Um, even worse than like walking dead where walking dead kind of had the bare bones of the original comic, but kind of did their own thing. This looked like it was completely doing its own thing. And I was like, eh, I'm not interested in that. Cause I, I really, you know, if you're going to do, you know, it's fine if they, if they want to strike out on their own and, and create new stories, but for the origin of the character, you gotta go with the classic story. The classic story is a classic story, you know, and and it didn't look like they did the the classic origin, and that that to me was kind of the, yeah, that was the deal breaker. We need to cover that on the show sometime because I think you guys have said you've never read it. Is that right? I don't think so. Yeah, maybe I'll bring that next show. We got we got to we got to cover that. That is oh, that's such a good. Good book. Well, I think Paul fell asleep, so we should probably. I'm still go awake. Ahead. I'm just listening to you guys go on and on and on, and, uh, and I'm, I'm 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 actually it's like I'm listening to the show. Oh, okay. See, All that's right. how well, I feel sometimes. 
when you guys are going on about something and and I'll I'll forget that I'm in the show because I'll be just like, oh, wait a minute, I'm on this show. Say yeah, something. The, the funny thing is, I'll be in my car listening to somebody else's show, and I'll feel the need to yell out, even though they can't hear me. Then I'm on the show with you guys, and you say stuff, and I'm just like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> go figure. Chime anyway. in, dumbass. You're part of this. <laughs> I chimed in when I had something to say. So now what I have to say is thank you to everybody else who was listening besides me. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope you had a real good time. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Good night, Mr. Robinson. <laughs>